greatly appreciated. And you know, the, the wonderful thing this morning is that Mother's Day ties in so beautifully with what I want to share with you today. Um, I was reflecting a little on what mothers do. What's some of the very first things that moms teach their children? Um, lo and behold, it has everything to do with what I'm sharing. Moms, more than anything, want their kids to be loved and accepted by others. Have you noticed that? And the way that they make that happen is by teaching their children good manners. Most mothers get this. There's a few odd ones that don't get it. But most mothers who are healthy understand how important it is for their kids to have good relationships. And you've heard me say it here before. I'm going to just say it again. You and I were created for relationship. You and I were created to have relationship with other people. You and I were created to have healthy, fulfilling relationships with other people. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that that doesn't always happen. We don't always feel uh, fulfillment. We don't always feel connected. We don't always feel the love from other people. In fact, some of us feel downright lonely. Well, I want to talk to you today about how to make friends and how to keep them. And I'm going to tell you that mothers are the first line of defense or offense, however you want to call it or whatever, however you want to look at it. They're the first ones to teach their children how to have good relationships. And it begins with some simple good manners. And so what's one of the very first things that moms teach their kids? To, to say what? To say please and? Ah, you were taught by the same moms. You understand this. And we're taught, they're taught when the kids are playing in the sandbox, they're taught what to do with their toys. They're taught to? To share. Very good, children. Very good. We're doing really good here this morning. We're taught, we teach our kids how to relate to other people. And here's the thing. The way that our kids relate well to other people, the way that our kids enter into good relationships with others, is by being not selfish, by being unselfish, by putting other people first. I'm going to tell you, if we don't learn that lesson, if we don't learn how to put others first, if we continue on in self-centeredness, putting ourselves first, we end up very lonely and unhappy people. So I got to say this, thank God for mothers, because every mother wants their children to have good and close relationships. Every mother wants her children to be loved and to be accepted by everybody. Unfortunately, Somewhere along the line, we forget the lessons that we were taught by our mother. Somewhere along the line, we learn some bad habits. The bad habit of being self-centered. The bad habit of putting ourselves first. And I'm going to tell you this. And it's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's a sad, sad fact. But so often, the same mother... And Father, who teach us good manners and teach us how to relate to other people, are also the same people who teach us how to be self-centered. We, uh, we, whether we like it or not, oftentimes turn out like our parents. And there is absolutely no way that you can tell whether you are or not like your parents unless you have somebody come along and tell you. 
And so what we need to do today is that we need to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to take the blindness from our eyes and help us to see what we're really like. Because as I said before, we are notorious for not judging ourselves properly. We always see ourselves in a far better light than, than most people do. And that's, that's, a, that's a known fact. So how do we get it right? How do, we, how do we make friends and how do we keep them? This morning I want to share with you uh, some, some very key proverbs. And proverbs being wise word, that's what it means. And it comes from uh, the book of uh, Proverbs chapter 22. And we're looking at verses 10 and 11. And if you would read that with me. Drive out the mocker and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. One who loves a pure heart... And who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. And so here's what you and I need to know this morning. You and I need to know that making friends and keeping them does not just come easily to us. It's not something that, it's not an instinct that you're born with. It is actually a skill. It's an art. It goes against our natural tendency. Our natural tendency, our natural instinct is to be very self-centered. We are not like animals. At least most of us aren't. We're not like the animals. I mean, you never turn on the National Geographic program and watch two lions uh, in, the, in the backsides of Africa uh, with, with good manners. There's a carcass and you don't see one lion say the other. No, you go first. I, 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 I insist. No, no, you, you go first. They, they scrap it out, and the strongest one, the toughest one, the meanest one wins and gets to have a share of the carcass, and then whatever's left over is left for the other line. Well, guess what? This is what our tendency is, and we know that because we see it from the earliest points in our childhood. I mean, I, some of the worst fights I ever saw happened in a sandbox. You know, sand in the eye, give me back my shovel. Sand over the head. I mean, we're talking about some pretty nasty stuff. Uh, kids uh, learn words and, and, and repeat words that can make you blush. Why is it? Well, it comes out of anger because they don't get their own way. We need to be taught the skill and the art of making friends and keeping them. And so I want to share with you this morning uh, from these two Proverbs... The secret to gaining and keeping friends. I'm going to tell you right off the bat, there's two kinds of people. There's a kind of people that whenever you're with them, they they just seem to breathe life into you. After you're with them, you just feel so happy. You feel so good. You feel so alive, so refreshed. And there's others that when you're with them, they just seem to suck the life out of you. You just feel so so down, so discouraged. It's like uh, once you once you get to know them, when you see them coming, you're, you're like, if you're in the super supermarket, you kind of you know hide behind the aisle and wait for them to be gone, right? You know what I'm talking about. And it doesn't sound very Christian, but the reality is, is that you'd rather not have to face that life sucker than have to... Well, you know what I'm saying, don't you? Of course you do. There's some people, when you're with them, you just feel so refreshed after. And others, when you're with them, you just feel so dead. So here's what I want to talk about, first of all. Because we all need to examine ourselves. I want to talk about the people who, who demoralize us. These are the people that most people don't actually like too much. They don't want to be around them. They don't want to spend too much time with them. These are the people that the Bible calls uh, a mocker. 
And, and, and Solomon says this about the mocker. Uh, he says, uh, drive out the mocker. In other words, kick the mocker out of your life, get rid of the mocker, and out goes strife. And with that, out goes quarrels and insults. It all comes to an end. What is a mocker? A mocker, according to the dictionary, is someone who will insult or put you down, someone that, will, uh, that laughs at other people with contempt, um, sometimes a mocker will imitate you. Uh, i got to tell you, some of the biggest fights that I've had to deal with as a father is when the kids start mocking each other. And by mocking, I mean imitating each other. So, and, and Nicholas can really get on Sarah's nerves, and I can talk about him because he's not here right now. Uh, Sarah will say, Nicholas, get out of my room. And Nicholas will say back, Nicholas, get out of my room. And then she'll say, stop it. And Nicholas will go back, stop it. And now she's ready to kill him. Now, my sister and I, we never did that, right, Kathleen? We were perfect angels. And I'm telling you, ready to kill each other. Okay, guess what? That, that's just a, that, little, that little thing that happens, that little cameo of our childhood... That carries right on into adulthood, unfortunately, in, in, but in more sophisticated ways. We, we try to get a laugh at someone's expense. We try to, we try to uh, get people to think we're funny by putting somebody else down. And so here's, here's, here's why we do it. Mocking is, is sarcasm. Mo- mocking is insulting. It's putting people down. Sarcasm... Is simply a way to get a laugh at another person's expense. When I was in Boys Brigade at Calvary Temple, um, the church I grew up in, I loved stockades. That's where I became a Christian. That's where I really had my eyes open to, to who God is. And I memorized scripture verses. I had a fantastic stockade leader. His name is Mr. McNeil, Alec McNeil. The reason I remember that is because this man had such a huge impact on my life. He was, he was somebody that, that I felt really cared about me. Who really loved me, and he was he was uh, just a, an awesome leader. Became a Christian under his leadership and memorized all kinds of scripture verses, which I can still recite to this day. And then I, then what happens? I, I I grew older, and what happens is that you move out of the stockade, out of the boys program, into the the older young adults, young young men's program. And I discovered it was a very very different world. When I was in the stockade program, it was all about encouragement and, you know, scripture and you're doing a great job, you're wonderful. I moved into the, to the older program, the battalion, and I'd come home feeling like rubbish. Because, and it's, it's not all the leaders, but some of the leaders were extremely sarcastic and their way of laughing and getting a laugh was by putting people down, by putting the guys down. And I quit the program because of that, because I, could, I couldn't stand coming home after spending a whole evening, I couldn't stand coming home feeling like garbage. I'm going to tell you something, people. Your job and my job as a Christian is to not put people down, but to build them up. But you see, we think it's okay because we're getting a laugh. And surely, if everybody's laughing, it must be good. We'll even use scripture verse to back it up. We'll say, what? A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Okay, look it. Can I tell you something? Laughing at somebody's expense is not medicine for anybody. 
When you're laughing at other people, when you're laughing at other people and mocking other people and being sarcastic about other people and getting a laugh through putting other people down, folks, I'm going to tell you, this is, listen to this, this is an unhealthy approach to building friendship, which does not last. Because nobody will trust somebody who puts them down. And you may have grown up like that. That might be that might have been the mode in your home where you, you know, mom or dad, they you know they try to get a laugh and you sit around the table and mock one another and, and put each other down. I'm gonna tell you, there's nothing Christian or biblical about that. It's just dead wrong. And I'm gonna give a little shout out to my dad today because I can I can say that in our home growing up, we didn't sarcasm was not allowed. It was just not practiced. I'm very thankful for that. Very, very, very thankful. What's your home life like? What's your marriage like? You know what? I can, as, a, as someone who's counseled couples for years now, I can tell when a marriage is on the verge of a breakdown because one or both are putting each other down. You show me a couple where one is putting the other one down, mocking her or mocking him, laughing at him, putting him down. I'm going to show you a marriage that is in very serious trouble. Likewise, you show me two people who are putting each other down, mocking, at, mocking each other, laughing at each other. I'm going to show you a friendship that's on the verge of a breakdown or a friendship that is very unhealthy, which is not friendship by any biblical standard. So here's the thing. With, a, with laughter, with the laughter that comes from mocking and sarcasm, comes a, a false sense of, a, of acceptance and belonging. So you're laughing at my jokes as I put down, as I put somebody down. Then what's happening is that I'm thinking, well, look at this. I'm being accepted. I'm being loved. But it's, that's not happening at all. People are just laughing at what you're saying, period. There's no relationship being built. And this is why, surprise, surprise. This is why comedians have, um, in, amongst their numbers, the highest level of depression this is comedians. Does anybody ever know, anybody know what a comedian is? There's a whole channel devoted to it called the what the comedy. That's right, and it's all it is is one one stand-up comedian after another putting people down, putting his wife down, putting his kids down, putting the, the people, the audience down, and it's a cheap laugh. Everybody laughs their head off, but nobody loves that comedian. And so that's why amongst comedians, and by the way, you can Google this yourself. Right after the service, don't do it now. Put your, your devices away. Do this after the service. You go Google it. You'll see that comedians have the highest level of, of, of depression, the highest level of divorce. They're the loneliest and surprise. They have the highest, highest, among the highest levels of suicide. It comes out of, of a profound sense of loneliness. The wisest man who ever lived said this, drive out the mocker. Drive out the sarcastic. Drive out the one who, who puts people down. And out goes strife, out goes quarrels, out goes insults. It all comes to an end. Can I ask you today, are you the kind of person that builds people up or do you put them down? It's very easy to do that. It's very easy to mock and I would say this, that mocking and putting people down is more a sign of what's wrong in your heart than anything else. This is a sign. This is an indication that God's trying to get your attention and show you a better way. And that's what I want to share with you today. I want to share with you 
how to be that kind of person that gives life, that attracts people to them. The kind of person who says, man, I want to be around you. Can I just say this? The word, from the word mocker, the, the root of that word is mock. And that simply means to be fake, to be counterfeit, to be bogus, to, be, to not be real. You can never have a relationship with somebody that you don't trust. You can never have a close relationship with somebody who is, who is fake, who is not real. Somebody who is counterfeit. It's impossible. And so therefore, you will never be close. You will never have a close relationship unless you learn how to resist this, this lifestyle. Because it really is a lifestyle. It's a habit that you get into. So how do you become the person that people want to be with? How do you become the person that people will say, you know, he's my friend. He really cares about me. He really loves me. Well, I'll tell you how. In Proverbs 22, verse 11, it says, One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. In in other words, what he's saying is that you'll never have a shortage of friends. In fact, you'll have the best of friends if you can learn to have a pure heart and to speak with grace. Now, what what does it mean to have a pure heart? Very simply this. It means that you have pure motives. For instance, in our relationship to God, there is the kind of person who has, has a relationship with God which, which flows out of pure motives. And by that I mean that you're not the kind of person that the only time you ever talk to God is when you need something. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh God, help, I'm in trouble. Oh God, there's the cops, they're stopping me for speeding. Please let them be nice to me today. It's that kind of a prayer. You know, very self-centered, very self-serving. And that's what a lot of people have when it comes to the relationship with God. It's a very impure motive. It's all about me. It's all about what can I get. It's all about God unleash the powers of heaven for my sake. And you don't even care about a relationship with God. You don't even care about the fact that he loves you. You don't even care about his graciousness and his goodness to you. All you care about is getting something from God. Can I tell you, that's not the way to have a relationship with God. Those who have a a right relationship with God, those who have a pure heart when it comes to God, are people who are grateful, who have gratitude in their hearts, who have learned to say thank you to God, so that in that hour of need, that's the most simple thing of all to say, God, my Father, you have proven your love to me so many times in the past, I need your help again. That's a prayer from, from pure motives. In our relationship to one another, There's many people who the only reason they make friends with with some people is because because of what they're going to get out of it. If you go to to chapters or to any of the bookstores in Winnipeg, you will find whole sections in the business section devoted to creating networks or relationships with people, people who will in the end serve you and help your cause and help you further your agenda. Folks, we call this having impure motives. Because it's not about the other person. It's about me. So here's the thing. If you want to have great relationships with the people in your life, then you've got to stop thinking it's about me and start thinking, what can I do for him, for her, for them? And this is what creates a a fantastic marriage. We talked about this. Where the only fight that you have is, is over who gets to serve who. It's my turn to make you breakfast in bed, dear. No, no, it's my turn. Did any mothers get breakfast in bed? 
this morning? Any mothers? None? We used to do that. One mother? Wow, that's amazing. That used to be the sign of true love for a mother, right? Anybody remember those days? Did anybody get breakfast in bed or on bed? (laughs) Is what can I do for you? How can I serve you? Isn't that interesting? That we want to express love? We think of ways that we can serve. We think of things that we can give. We think of ways that we can help. Well, friends, look at This is what a life-giving person does. A life-giving person doesn't wait for Christmas or anniversaries or birthdays or special days called Mother's Day. A person who truly loves and gives life is a person who serves and loves throughout the year. Is that the kind of person you are? There's a reason why you don't have friends. It's because you're self-centered. Thanks, Pastor. It's just what I needed to hear. <laughs> just what I came to church for. Thanks for smacking me down. Look, I'm not trying to smack you down. Remember what I said last week about the wounds of a friend or faithful? I'm telling you the truth that you need to hear. If you want to have a friend, if you want to keep a friend, then you've got to remember the words that your mother spoke to you when you were in the sandbox. Say please. Say thank you. Share. Don't fight. Don't swear. Don't be mean. Be other-oriented. Put the other first and watch what will happen. Because the one with, that has the pure heart, the one who has the other-oriented motivation is the one that's going to have the friends. It's the one that's going to keep the friends. It's the one that will never lose a friend. And I would say it even refers, it even uh, applies to your marriage. Being in the marriage counseling business for so many years, this, this is what I can tell you, and this is a money-back guarantee. If you will continue to be good to your spouse, if you will continue to, to speak with grace, as it says here in verse 11, you will never lose your spouse. You will never lose your husband. You will never lose your wife. But you have to learn how to speak with grace. You have to learn to speak words of encouragement. You have to learn to speak kind words. One of the things I love about my wife, who actually is in the nursery right now, hi dear, is that uh, she always, always speaks words of encouragement to me. She always praises me. She always builds me up. Every day, it's not just, oh, I love you, bye. It's, it's look me in the eye and tell me how wonderful I am. And you don't know, many of you don't realize this, but I am a very wonderful person. Go to the nursery and ask Gloria. She'll tell you. And, and I got, this is even more incredible. I am the best looking man in the world. It's true. I'm sorry, guys. My wife has declared it. And she's told me I'm generous. And I won't tell you everything. I don't want to bore you today. Oh, okay. I, no, I won't. I won't. Guess what, guys? I just keep coming back for more. It just makes, it, it draws the best out of me. And it's why there's nobody in the earth that I want to be with more than my own wife. She's my best friend and my lover. Because she builds me up and builds me up and builds me up. And I try to do the same. I think she's beating me though. I don't know if I'm as good at it as she is, but she builds me up, and I try to do the same back. 
In fact, in fact, that's the competition that's going on in our household. She's trying to build me up, and I'm trying to build her up. I'm trying to outdo her. Look at, look at, there's, there's, look at, there's, there's nothing. We're not superheroes, okay? What we're trying to do is we're just trying to live according to the scripture. We're trying to do what the Bible says. We're trying to follow this book that wants me to have a great marriage and wants me to have great relationships and great friendships. God wants that for you people. So what I'm saying to you today is not just Alan Duncalf's advice for the day. Because you don't need to come to church and hear my advice. You don't need to do that. What you really need is you need to come and hear truth. Truth that will set you free. Truth that will enhance and make your marriage fantastic. You need to hear truth that will, that will enhance and make your relationships fantastic. And it comes not through the sarcasm, the mocking that so many people seem to think they have to do now. It comes from a pure heart that speaks with grace. Are your words full of grace? Do they build people up or do they put them down? I'm going to tell you this, parents. Don't ever ever put your children down. Don't ever say one mean, nasty thing to your children. Because I can tell you this, they'll never forget it. They'll never forget the nasty, sarcastic words that you spoke to them. They'll carry it as a wound for the rest of their life. They say that you can speak ten great words to somebody and they won't remember them. You say one bad word to them, they'll never forget it. Think about that. Walt Disney, the Walt Disney World, they'll say this. They say, and I mean, I don't know, it's, it, you hear different numbers, but anywhere it takes anywhere between 10 and 20 good experiences in, in the theme park to counteract one bad experience. I think that they're pretty close. It's pretty much on the money because that's the way it is with us. You need to be in the habit of speaking words that bring life to the hearts of the people in your life. Don't think you're being funny, mom and dad, when you put your kids down, you mock your kids. Don't think that you're being funny by laughing at their hairstyle or the zit on the end of their nose. You're not being funny. Don't, don't th- and you're not being smart either. You're, being, you're, you're dealing crushing blows to your kids, to your wife, to your husband. I would that we lived in a world with no sarcasm at all. But the fact of the matter is, is we're living on this planet, and this planet is, as everybody knows, is extremely dysfunctional. You show me dysfunction, I'm going to show you people who are extremely self-centered. Now, I, uh, I got to say, there's, there's people in my life that... Um, I just thank God for my dear close friends. I, was, I mentioned uh, Don Davidson in the first service. After every Sunday morning service, you'll see Don come down the aisle and come and put his arms around me and hug me and say, Alan, I just want to say thank you for that message this morning. It's just exactly what I needed to hear. It's not flattery. He's not just trying to win brownie points. He's just coming to encourage me and say thank you. Now, I want to tell you, when I see Don walking towards me, something inside of my heart says it feels good because I know what's coming. 
It's like, here comes dessert. <laughs> what do people think when you're coming? Uh-oh, here it comes. There's some people mad at you. They walk towards you and you know, I'm going to get an earful about something. There's some complaint coming. There's some, something is, something ticked them off. Something made them mad because the only time they'll ever talk to me is when they're mad about something. You want to have friends? <laughs> and do you want to keep your friends? Then you need to be the kind of person that, that Solomon describes as one with a pure heart and who speaks with grace. The pure heart being pure motives. It's all about serving you. About speaking grace, words that encourage and build people up. I'm gonna, I want to just share with you that uh, one of the things that's a, a huge concern for me as a pastor, and almost, and it actually depresses me. Why not depresses me? Well, I'm gonna tell you anyway. It's what I what I see kids watching on TV now, and I'll tell you why. It's not even it's not even the immorality of it. It's the it's the sarcasm, and it's the rudeness, it's the crudeness, it's the total lack of grace. And we wonder why now we have a generation of kids coming up that teachers can't stand, a generation of kids that can't stand each other, a generation of kids that are, are self-centered and nasty. Well, look at everything that they watch on TV is extremely self-centered, mocking Crude and rude. Has anybody ever heard of The Simpsons? Sorry. <laughs> I, I challenge you now to go and watch it with an eye to what I just said, with an ear for what I just said this morning. I could, I'll be honest with you. There are some things that, that are said on The Simpsons where you just got to slap your, slap your knee. It's that funny. Quite witty, actually. But what you don't know is that you're feeding your spirit this negativity that influences the way you think and the way you speak. Has anybody ever heard the term garbage in, garbage? You know that. In fact, that is actually a biblical principle. It's no wonder we do not speak with grace anymore. It's no wonder we're so rude and have such bad manners. And so I'm going to challenge you as believers to be very careful to guard what goes into your heart and very careful about what comes out. I have a friend in I had a friend in Bible school. I want to close with him as an example of a, of truly what a great and godly friend should be. Somebody who brings life. His name is Doug Sharp. Doug was a six foot was six foot one. Uh, was not terribly good looking. wasn't good looking at all. Uh, he had a kind of a weird body shape. He's not the kind of person you'd say, man, that's someone I'd to be friends with. He had a partial plate that he would make fall out of his mouth every now and again just for fun. And uh, the impression, if you met him, would be, this is, this is really not a remarkable person. At least not until you got to know him. I got to know Doug... I first really took notice of Doug one day when we were in the common room at Bible school. The common room was a room that had the stairway up to the men's dorm and the stairway up to the ladies' dorm. And while we were in the, in the dorm, two guys, or in the common room, pardon me, two guys started play, having a bit of a play fight. 
And it was Steve and Oscar. Steve was, Steve would punch, I think it was Steve that punched Oscar the other way around. And, and of course, Oscar returned it. And it wasn't too hard, but it was, you know, it was, it was a manly punch. And, uh, and so Steve hit, hit him back, and then he hit him back. And it was a little harder, and a little harder. And other faces are turning red, but they've still got that smile on their face. You know that smile. It's like, this doesn't hurt, but I'm going to kill you for hitting me so hard. You know what I'm talking about? And so it, got, it was really now getting out of control because they were hauling off and hitting each other hard. And you could tell now that they were getting mad at each other. In fact, we were on the, it was on, on the verge of a full-out major fist fight in Bible school. Praise the Lord. Doug is watching this with me. We're sitting side by side. Doug is watching this. And he suddenly realizes what's going on here. And he did an incredible thing. Something that, um, that I wasn't certainly willing to do. But he got up and he actually inserted himself right between Doug and Oscar. Who now are exchanging blows. Major blows to each other's bodies. And Steve... Now, it was Steve's turn to hit Oscar, but Doug put himself in the spot. And rather than hitting Oscar, he walled off it and really let Doug have it. And if that were not enough, then he got it from Oscar as well. So this guy's now the, he's a punching bag. And, uh, and he said, you guys got to stop now. At that moment, I thought to myself, this is one of the most amazing Christian people I think I've ever met. Here's a guy who was willing to take literally the teaching of Christ when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And he said to these guys, guys, you're, you, you, it's, you, got, you just got out of hand here. He's got to stop. And like two chastened little puppies, they said sorry to Doug. They shook each other's hand. They went their own, shook each other's hand and went their own opposite ways. And I looked at Doug and I said, Doug, that's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. He said, it's what Jesus would have done. It's what Jesus would have done. That was the beginning of my deep, deep love and appreciation for Doug Sharp. I recognized that he was not afraid of stepping in there and serving these guys, doing for these guys what they could not do for themselves. Their pride would not let them stop fighting. But Doug, in humility, stepped in and rescued these two friends. And I believe that they're all friends to this day. That's not all about Doug. Doug sat in the same missions class that I was in, and we had a missionary speaking at that missions class, and he said to us as students, guys, if you're going to go into full-time ministry, then you've got to learn how to pray at least an hour a day. And so some of us took that very seriously. And um, we went, we'd go down to the men's prayer room and the men's dorm, and almost without fail, I'd, I'd be there first, but Doug would come in, and he would always kneel down beside me, put his arm around me, and pray for me. And pray a special blessing on me. Well, guess what? I mean, I didn't want to miss that. I felt, I felt so loved and so, uh, so, so precious 
because of the love of this godly man that I was in Bible school with. And it gets even, even better than that. I don't want you to go away from here today thinking that you have to be saintly and perfect in order to get it right every time. Because the fact of the matter is you're not going to get it right every time. You're going to mess up. But what do you do when you mess up? What do you do when you don't get it right? It was a chapel period. Uh, Doug was sitting near the front of the chapel in Bible school. And just in, in the row ahead of her was a a new girl that just started attending uh, started attending ch- uh, the college in the second term. And I don't know what possessed her, but she decided that she was going to start playing her flute during the chapel periods. So while we had the band up there doing their thing, she pulled out her flute and started to play. It's interesting how this works, because there's some people that feel that they need to be on display in church, and they always come and sit right near the front, and they put on a little show for everybody. And so she, she gets out her flute without asking permission from anybody and starts to play. And not just play, but she decides she's going to start doing a bit of a, a 1960s interpretive dance to the chapel music. Okay, I'm going to tell you that nobody's worshiping anymore. Now they're watching this, this, this woman who's having a, a wonderful time all by herself playing the flute. Doug gets a bit of a twinkle in his eye, looks over at me. We exchange a glance. I smile, he smiles. And then he does this, as if he's got the flute in his hands. He goes... (laughs) (laughs) Now he's got me and probably everybody that saw him laughing our heads off. But see, this is sarcasm. Maybe you could say, well, he's justified in doing that, justified in saying that. But you know what he did? He took me aside after. He said, Alan, you know what? I got to apologize to you. I said, for what? He says, "Uh, I should never have mocked her. I shouldn't have been making fun of her. It was wrong. It was wrong for me to get a laugh at her expense. And I want to apologize for my behavior. Now, some of you might think, well, that's that's a little extreme in the spiritual spirituality department, isn't it? No, you know what? It's called being humble. It's called confessing and admitting you're wrong. And so I'm going to tell you, that act not only caused me to hold him in high esteem, but it actually taught me a lesson. It taught me to be the first one, if, if at all possible, to say sorry. Do I get it right all the time? No, Doug is far better at it than me. But it taught me that the core, the basis of great relationships is the ability to say, I'm sorry, to say, I was wrong, to say, forgive me. Those are the people that give you life. The ones who are able to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. The ones who can walk in humility are the ones that cause you and make you trust them. And I'm going to tell you, without trust, there's no relationship. It's impossible to have a relationship with someone if you don't trust them. So how do you make friends and how do you keep them? You have to have a pure heart. You've got to be motivated with a love for others that does not look for anything in return. And secondly, you have to speak graciously. You've got to speak words that encourage and build people up. I'm going to tell you this. 
you'll have no shortage of friends. In fact, Solomon says you'll have the king for a friend. Well, I don't have the king for a friend. I don't have Stephen Harper as my friend, but I have Kevin Lamoureux. (laughs) And we're friends. In fact, he called me, he calls me his favorite pastor. I'm his only pastor. (laughs) God wants you to have great relationships. He wants you to be fulfilled and happy in your friendships. And he gives us the instructions on how to do it. Pretty cool. You do this, and you're going to have more friends than you know what to do with. You do this, your marriage is going to be fantastic. You'll never have anything to be worried or afraid of. You do this, your children will trust you. You'll be close to your kids. Would you stand with me, please? God, I don't think there's a person here that would say, I, I want to I be the person that sucks the life out of other people. <laughs> That's just unhealthy and, and strange. Every one of us wants to be able to make friends and keep them. You're calling us, God, to be a people with pure hearts whose motivation is simply and purely to be a blessing to others without anything in return, without any other hidden agenda. You're calling us, God, to speak with grace, where we build people up, where we're not rude, we're not crude, we're not putting people down, but we're building everybody up that, that we know. God, thank you for the people in my life that build me up. And I pray, God, that you'd help me to build others up. Help us here today to be the kind of people that speak with grace, that lift people up. And we thank you, God, that that's where we discover, that's when we have wonderful and fulfilling relationships. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, you are wonderful.